What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the first official episode of The Life Of. We are absolutely out here, aren't we? This is it. We're on the deep end now, but thank you so much, each and every person listening right now. Thank you, you, you listening, you, I'm talking to you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. I really, really appreciate it. Listen, before we get started, do me a favor. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to this podcast. Please comment, rate, and subscribe. Comment, let me know things you like, things you want to hear, people you want to hear interviewed. I'm going to do my best to make it happen for you. Rate it, let people know it's quality, and then go ahead and subscribe because you can get some amazing updates and some really dope stuff coming up. A lot of the success of this podcast is depending on that, on you. This is your podcast. Let's make it happen. For those who don't know, I'm your host, Kason Wilson. I'm a stand-up comedian. And uh, man, I'm so happy that you are here. Please hashtag the life of, if you're on social media, posting about this, please hashtag the life of, and feel free to tag me, follow me on social media at the life of K-A-Y on Instagram and Twitter. That is the life of K-A-Y. If you're on Facebook, it's the life of Kason, K-A-S-A-U-N. I'm a stand-up comedian, just real quick. If you are anywhere in the country, I may be coming to your city to tell some jokes soon. Or if you're looking to make a show happen, I would love to come. So please, please find, go on my website, thelifeofkay.com. You can find out more information about upcoming shows, as well as some generational curse breaker clothing, as well as some limited hoodies that just came out. You'll see those on social media as well soon. So that's enough about me, guys. I want to get into this episode. I'm so excited because every episode will actually get to talk to somebody and have just a raw and real conversation and just laid back and chill. You get to see people outside of the element that you actually always see them in. And I feel like this is the perfect person to talk to because when you think of a pastor or somebody in the church, you think of somebody who is preaching all the time and God said, and, and, and you know, all of the stereotypical things that we see about pastors. I'm so excited that today's episode is kind of talking to someone who I think kind of breaks the mold in that regard. You may know him because at age 15, he was already kind of thrust into public ministry. And he's now the bishop of the City of Praise Family Ministries in Landover, Maryland. It was a church that was founded by his mom and his dad, Bishop James Peebles Sr. and Apostle Betty Peebles. And with a lot of public transition and personal transition, he has led the church this you know huge huge church he's led it with integrity and grace and just being a great person so you you know him as the pastor of this big city of praise family ministries church in landover maryland but what you may not know is that he married my wife and i He's one of the greatest father figures I have personally ever had. I love this man so much. And what you also may not know is he's actually really an introvert, which I'm happy we get a chance to talk about because I think a lot of people will be surprised about how many people you actually see shining on stage or in a pulpit and doing what they love and doing, you know, expressing their gift. But actually off stage, they're actually really quiet 
and chill and to themselves, you'd be surprised how many comedians and pastors and musicians and all of these people you're seeing doing these like great, big, seemingly extroverted things can be quite introverted behind the scenes. Doesn't mean everybody, but you'd be surprised how many people can be introverted genuinely behind the scenes. And I, I feel like this guy encompasses all of those ideas. A lot of people know him as Bishop, but I am excited to know him as like a dad to me. And um, I'm excited for you to hear more about the life of Joel Peebles. Are you a musical fan? Sound of music and all that? Oh man, come on. Yes, indeed. That's how we grew up. Yes. Yeah. My mother. Most people don't know is the Apostle Betty Peebles. They know her for being this incredible biblical expositor. Yeah. This phenomenal gift to the world, this incredible voice to the ages. She loved old movies. My mother loved old movies. And so when I was a little boy, she would grab me and we would watch TV, especially, channel, you know, because when you would know this because you're a millennial. But when we grew up, TV actually went off. Yeah, I don't know that like Yeah, yeah. We didn't have 5 million channels. Yeah. We didn't have that. We, we, had, we had Channel 2, Channel 4, Channel 5, Channel 7, Channel 9, 13. And if the monkey ears were pushing in the right direction, uh-huh. we could get 20 and 45. That's ever so often when there wasn't an overcast. Yeah. <laughs> Clear skies. Yes. And so everything went off. All the TV shows went off except for Channel 13. On Channel 13, they had the late show, then the late, late show. And then the late, late, late show. And so my mother and I would stay up literally on the weekends and watch all the old Doris Day, Howard Kill, Jerry Lewis, yeah. Sammy Davis Jr., Eartha Kitt movies. We watched them. If my mama was here, Pastor Betty People was here, she would tell you her favorite movie all time was Pillow Talk with Doris Day and Rock Hudson. Absolutely love it. In fact, I just watched it last month and still loved it. It still stands up. Oh, man. And my wife wonders how I love those movies because I'm not a musical person. But because I think of the nostalgia and the time and the feeling I got with her, that feeling comes through watching those movies. So I can literally put myself back into her presence and feeling the time and the emotions and the movement and the love, just the the nature of being around her when I watch one of those old movies, because it was an interesting thing that those movies gave both of us simultaneous joy. We both enjoyed them together. We talked about them together. She had a crush and my dad had a problem with it. (laughs) She had a crush on John Wayne. She did. John Wayne. They called him the Duke. In fact, it now makes me realize our first dog was named Duke. <laughs> <laughs> and he did not name that dog. She loved John Wayne. She's calling him Big John Wayne. Her voice would get real deep. You know, Big John Wayne is on. Like my father said, Betty, no. And that would be a little issue. I thank God he was in Hollywood, California, and we were in D.C., so. Is there a movie that you think that your kids love because they watch it with you? Lion King. Yeah. We have seen Lion King in every shade, form. Really? We've seen Lion King in elementary school plays. We've seen Lion King on Broadway three or four times. We've seen Lion King every set of the movie, Lion King Part 1, Part 1A, Part 2, Part 2A. We have watched Lion King in every way you can. For us as a family, Lion King for us, when I'm watching it with my wife and Joel and Janae and Jordan and Jeremiah, 
we pull out so many different pieces of the fabric of our own lives and experiences. The dynamics of it, it almost has us in conversations for hours. So what's your favorite movie? Oh, that's easy. You know what my favorite movie is. Yeah, people don't know. And again, we have this conversation. I realize now my favorite movie is my favorite movie, not just because of how the movie may have been good or not good, but I remember as much of what happened that precipitated in us seeing the movie and the feeling I got. My favorite movie all time is Rocky Three. Not one, not two, not four, not five, not 36. They've had a lot of them. A whole lot of them. Yeah, so you you feel me? Rocky Three. Rocky Three with Sylvester Stallone and Mr. T. That movie is so important to me. And the reason I I realize is because everybody says, I love Rocky Four, they love Rocky Four. The reason I love Rocky Three is because I remember when we saw it. Jamie and I woke up went to the Silver Theater in Silver Spring. That was when the movie theaters back when we went to the movie theaters in the day, they only had one movie playing on one movie screen. <laughs> so okay. go to movies now and they got 55 movies. Yeah. They had one movie playing, one movie screen, and it was Rocky Three. So mm-hmm. Jamie and I went 12 noon to see the Rocky Three movie. My father was a boxing lover. Jamie and I loved the movie and we loved it so much, we drove back home, picked up my mom and dad and Johnny and took them back to the 3 o'clock matinee to see Rocky Three. So that one day, I got to see it twice. The first time with Jamie and I, the second time with the family. And I think that moment, those family moments, just make everything so much fuller. And so Rocky Three, because, of course, I loved Rocky Three, but I think because of the feeling I get from the people who I shared it with at first is why I really love Rocky Three. Are you the kind of father that you thought you would be? Two-part question. At 15, 18, are you the kind of father that you thought you would be? And does the memories that your parents and your upbringing gave you, does that influence, like, I have to create that for my kids? So, so that's, a, that's a two-part question. So check this out. You asked me about 15 and 18. I never thought I was going to be married and never thought I was going to be a father. Really? I didn't. I wasn't that dude. I never saw myself married. Now, I love family and came from an incredible family, I never thought about it. Maybe I should say it like that. Okay. I never thought about being, you know how young ladies grow up and they, they see the White House with the picket fence and the one and a half kids. I'm not sure what that is. And a yeah. dog. <laughs> they you got everything planned but you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never saw that. I saw myself just living life and doing whatever my purpose was. And I never saw that at all until I met this one woman who changed my life. I knew from the moment I laid eyes on her, I said, That's wife for life. But I never thought about that. As far as the father thing and being the father, the reason she and I think kicked it as much as we did is because our values were the same. I tell people all the time, people are different when they get married. But if your values are the same, Mm -hmm. then you stick together. We value family. All of those things I just shared with you about my childhood and the things I watched and why my favorite movie was my favorite movie was because of the family involved. So once I got married, family was important. My father was... Probably, no, not probably. He, with noting that my mother was the greatest biblical teacher in the world and an extraordinary ministry gift and was the greatest ministry teacher to me, my father was the greatest life teacher to me. You would have loved my dad. My dad was the coolest cat in the world. He said almost no words. <laughs> he was the quietest person in the room. He was quiet when he spoke words. Sometimes he spoke like Jesus in riddles. Yeah. I had to go back to the bridge. Did y'all understand what dad just said? <laughs> no, not quite. We yeah. had to figure it out. He spoke in riddles. He really did. 
And then he spoke so profoundly when he wanted you to understand what he said that it would just mess you up. Here's a wild thing. My father never spanked me. Now, he disciplined me, but he never spanked me. Here is the deal with, with Bishop James, our peoples. When my father, when you did something wrong, he would pull you in a room and he would look at you. He would clasp his hands together. I'm already nervous. I can feel it. And he would just look at you. He'd put his head down on his chest and he'd say, I'm so disappointed in you. And then he'd pause for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and you sit there just sweat, you know? <laughs> he just paused. And then he would say things of that nature. He would go through how your actions were inappropriate or wrong or incorrect. He would never demean. He would never say anything. He would make you feel so bad for disappointing him. You wish he would spank you. I would rather be spanked by my mother than disciplined by my dad. She, you know, she, you know mom was mom. Mom, what, where y'all she had to? <laughs> she, she, <laughs> there's a possibility people had no cut cards. Okay? Hey, she's not disappointed. Mom would wear you out at five and mom wore me out at 25. It, it was what it was, okay? She was a very strong, powerful, engaging woman. My dad was a quiet storm. So when he got you, you never got spanked. He never disrespected you. But you, because he was so endearing and loving in how he felt about you, it's almost like you letting him down was the worst punishment you could ever receive. And he would alert you to know you let me down. And man, that right there was crushing. You would do everything you could do to build that trust back up when he did that, when, when he sat down and talked to you. He didn't overuse it. He didn't do it all the time. So you knew when he sat down and talked to you about how you disappointed him in your actions, it would be crushing. And so to answer your question about me and fathering, you know, I think my kids would say I got a little bit of that. I don't get excited. I don't get emotional. I don't get angry. And I can tell I've learned as a bishop to be very cautious because I can say something to someone and I find that if I tell a person I'm disappointed in them, that person I can tell is broken. And I'm like, well, I didn't know my words had that much power, but I learned from him that if you love a person and that person does something wrong, that person wants so much to make sure they're back in your graces because they know they are loved properly. And so I can't answer that question. You know, I don't think that's for me to answer whether I'm the kind of father my father was. But I will say I grew up and after I decided I was going to marry this incredible woman mm -hmm. and fine woman and beautiful woman. Anyway, I said if I married her, I said if I could just be half the father that my father was. I'd be doing well. I'm not able to grade that. They'll have to tell you more about that. But he was emblematic of what I, I really believe an incredible, skilled practitioner of a father was. You know, I'm at that point now where, you know, Tiffany and I are starting to talk about kids. <laughs> y'all are so cute together. Yeah, thank you. I dig y'all. Yeah, I, I mean, your quiver be full. Listen. You no, know, a quiver no. is 11, right? <laughs> no, 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 I'm good. That was just in the natural. That wasn't spiritual, right? <laughs> you didn't just like wish something on us, right? I always wonder, I have lived a great life and I think I have a lot to give my children, but I, I know that I have a lot of experience and wisdom to give them based on mistakes that I have made. But it's also always interesting to me that they don't get to know me as the high schooler who was messing up or the college student who was messing up. They just get to know me as like dad. Yeah. So I just get to be the hero. Did you feel that way? And did you have to kind of navigate an age where you can say like, hey, I'm not perfect. Here are some of the things that you need to watch out for because this is just 
some stuff that I've done? Or how do you navigate what transparency versus the standard? I think you have to be transparent from the beginning all the way through. The truth is, everyone in this world is fragile. Everyone in this world has moments where, whether through purposefully or not purposely, dropped the ball, made mistakes. And so your kids need to know, hey, I was a little awkward as a teenager. I struggled in this class in school. I did mess up. I was in the principal's office a time or two. They need to know that. And the reason they need to know that at all ages is because they need to understand that when they falter and make a mistake, there is a power of rebounding. It also opens up for honest engagement as time goes on. Now, I submit to you, I didn't, ha- I didn't have a whole lot of stories. You know, nowadays the story is a lot wilder. So I didn't have a whole lot of stories like, like, like some folks do. So my kids would tell you, well, dad didn't have too many stories. But with all of that said, I think being open with your kids, being able to have talks about sex. For us, we talked to our kids about sex at six. Oh, that early? That early. Oh, okay, that's real. That, that early. We talked to them about sex at six. And the reason we talked to them about sex at six, because we knew that once they got into school, their friends would be talking about sex at six. So it's like, oh, we're going to beat the, we're going to beat the, <laughs> first man wins. <laughs> first man out the gate wins. We realize, yes, indeed. Yeah. That's a hard talk to have. Yeah. So what you realize is you got to talk about it in very straight face, plain language, like it's not a big deal. A, B, C, D, stay a virgin. Well, <laughs> you want to say that. You do, you do, but. You just have to be honest. You have to talk about the body parts. You have to talk about what happens. You talk about the love, the chemistry. You have to talk about all sets of it. The spiritual part has to be the overarching part of it all. You have to have that conversation. And we have something in our family called the circle of truth. Even my kids are grown. My kids are now 24, 21, 20, and 15. We still have the circle of truth. Are y'all done? Oh, man. Hope not. (laughs) I have a feeling when you interview my wife, she's going to tell you unequivocally, yes. Um, May the best man win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she's kind of controlled that over the years. Yeah. But I love kids. I love my children, man. That's the thing about children. That's the thing nobody prepares you for. To have a child, and this is the best way I can say it, it almost makes a person cry. When you have children, the love you have for your children almost hurts. It's something different the love you have for your mate is, is, is the kind of love and embracing and caring and covering and sexual and intimate. And that has the same level of passion and power. The love you have for your kids hurts because you love them so much. You want to protect them from everything. You want to give them the perfect life. When your children hurt, you hurt 20 times more than they hurt. When your children go through the rudimentary things of life, the things they have to go through, You are like suffering. Every parent will tell you they will cry 10 times more for their child. Every parent that loves their children will cry 10 times more for their child than for themselves. I will say it and just, again, the way I best way I can say it is, when you have your child, when you have children, it's the kind of love that hurts. You love them so much. That's why I can't understand why fathers don't want to be around their kids. Your story is the most powerful, remarkable, amazing, significant story of how if I'm your dad, I missed out on something special. I don't know if I would want to live missing out on Kaysan and living through your comedy and sitting on the front row or in the back of the theater. You know, just like, that's my boy right there, you know, going through your high school years together and you going to your prom together and me fixing your tie. I don't know how I would live. I couldn't be in another state. And know you're going through that and not lose my mind. And then you walk the stage 
as a college graduate, there's not a room that the door could fit my head through, you being my son. You, you see what I'm saying to you? I don't see how a dad could miss that. And I will always say, just referring to you, what you think you may or may not have, have missed out in your father being maybe what he should have been pales in comparison of what he missed out on. Doesn't even touch it. Doesn't even come close to it. He missed out on what real life is. Whatever he was doing in the time that he should have been with you, he won't even remember. It was irrelevant. The time that he missed out with you, as much as you may have missed him, he will never be able to regain that moment in time again. He missed out on the biggest part of life. I'm sorry. No, I appreciate that. I will say two things. One, what a lot of people don't know is that probably my greatest memory of my dad is when I found out I wasn't graduating. And he called me the day of the graduation and was like, we've both messed up, but we can both get up. If there's one thing I can say that my dad did for me is he told me at like probably the hardest time of my life, like, it's okay. I don't have it all figured out and you may not either, but it's okay. And I will say a big part of my story as a man has a lot to do with you. You're the first of a lot in my life. Like you were the first pastor that I really felt like I believed. And you were the first person that made me feel like who I was was okay. That meant a lot to me. I appreciate that. I think that's important because I think there's a lot of people who kind of share my story of, you know, some people have not had a father in the home. Some people had a father in the home. It just wasn't necessarily always the best situation. But I think one thing that I do appreciate about you the most, and even in hearing you talk about your family, is you have just watching you behind the scenes just be like the same person. That was so cool to me. But you're like a regular attainable person. In other words, you're saying I'm boring, but that's actually no, no, good. No, 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 no. I'm just no. messing. I'm just I, messing. You know how some people are just like preachers all the time? Where it's like, yo. They always got a word. Just always. Like, we're at the movies. Just enjoy the movie. Like, it's not, we can be off. And I think, one thing that I think about myself that I saw in you that helped me be more comfortable with it is, even my wife will kind of describe me as like an introvert with extroverted gifts. Do you see yourself that way? You couldn't describe it any better. Yeah. So like, all right, who are you when you're off? Because people always, when you have the, the pastor behind your name or the bishop behind your name, people always like, bishop, pastor, word, prophecy, help me. I'm going through this, which is fine. That's a part of the call, of course. But like, do you think that people know who you are when you're off? Let or me does flip it... your question. Okay. Because I think you might understand this. Who am I when I'm on? So when I'm on, I am what I really believe the people of God need at that moment. When I'm off, I'm what I need at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense to no, you? No, perfect. Perfect. So I know people need someone that sincerely cares, that engages God, that wants the best for them. And that's what I am. And that's what I believe my purpose is. But when I'm not on, I'm just me. I have no pretenses. I pick my teeth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying to you? I'm being honest with you, man. And that's why I even sometimes struggle to be, in my personal time, I don't invest it around a whole lot of very high-octane folks because I just don't have the energy. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? No, it makes Doesn't it take sense. energy for you sometimes? Your downtime, you want your downtime because it takes energy to be everything that the God's people need at that moment. It's like when Jesus is the same way. If you look through the Bible, a lot of times he just ran. One time, <laughs> no, really, he ran. We talk about the loaves and the fishes. Yeah. And he divided the loaves and the fishes and he fed people and he preached for three days and, and all of that. And the Bible says after that, 
Look at the scriptures after that. And Jesus ran from the people into the mountains alone. Yeah, to get away. <laughs> because they were going to try to make him king before time. He ran. And all the Bible, you see these incredible times when Jesus is in the wilderness and Jesus is gone and by himself, and even praying in gardens. And I mean, all of that is because I get it, Jesus. Like, man, that's a lot. You love people. You want to take care of people because of that energy. It's okay to be okay, to, to be alone and chill. And my favorite night, people ask, what did I want for my birthday? My birthday was incredible. I learned, I, I, I learned a lesson on my birthday. I didn't talk about that on Sunday, but my 50th birthday was powerful because I learned the gift God gave me on my 50th birthday was a lesson. And I may share that with you in time goes on. But he, he, he gave me a lesson. It was a little spanking lesson, but he gave me a lesson. That, to me, was the most valuable thing I could have ever gotten on my 50th birthday. But the other gift my family gave me is after I got my lesson, and I had my Wait, what was the lesson? Me, this is not going to come out until, you know, you, you can tell us if, if you don't mind sharing. Suffice to say, as you know, we've been blessed enough to be very victorious in many different court battles. Mm-hmm. And really, because of the grace of God, not because of a great litigator, a wonderful judge, a perfect client, it's been because of God's kindness. And so, because we won so much, there were other things we could just keep battling for and winning and winning and winning. And I felt in my spirit about some months ago, God said, listen, that season is over. Go ahead and build the kingdom. But I'm like, we winning. Hey, we got more to win. One on one in the and, 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 and I was, you know, people like, you need to go get what they stole and go get it and go get it. And I remember my father always said, I don't go to court. We've been wrong many times in our church. I don't go to court and battle all these battles because I'd rather take the time and do God's work and let God handle that. And I heard it some months ago and I ignored it because we were winning and we're in great shape and kept going. And on that day, we had a court hearing. We didn't lose, but it was so frictitious. I looked at one point and I said, why am I here? I don't have to go through this. We've already won. So we're no longer getting sued to get stuff. We're fighting to get, I mean, sued to keep stuff or get stuff back. We're now fighting to regain what has been stolen. But we've gotten the major pieces. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you don't need to be here. You remember what your father taught you? Your father said, I don't do this. I don't go to fight these battles. I'd rather just lead, help people, and build the kingdom. When I walked out of that courtroom, I felt like as a pastor and as a leader that God's grace moved on to another mission that he shared with me. And I'm still trying to stay here and fight this just because it's winnable. And that was my lesson. Wow. My lesson, just because it's a good thing, doesn't mean it's the right thing. And I appreciated God revealing that to me. I sat there and I said, why am I here? I did not need to be here. There's so many other things I could be here, so many other places I could use these resources. And so that's what God, he told me, I've closed the chapter and you keep going back. Wow. And so that was my lesson for my 50th. So that was God's present. I feel like those things are lessons, are gifts. Yeah. My gift was my kids that night took me out to California Pizza Kitchen. And I wanted pizza. I hadn't had pizza in like six, seven months. And so I had pizza. And they dogged me because of what I got. Because I was going to eat bad. I had in my mind, I was going to get this pepperoni with extra <laughs> three cheese pizza with pepperoni and sausage. And I ended up getting a cauliflower crust What is pizza. going on? What? Wait a minute. <laughs> with, with pineapples, onions, and tomatoes. 
Is that what you wanted or was that order put in for you? I just couldn't do it. You had one chance <laughs> and you ordered cauliflower. With onions and pineapples. The one chance you had yes. to not get that. Yeah. I don't know. That's you the just way cha- I'm wired now. Cha- yeah, the whole life has changed. <laughs> it's, the whole, it's the way I'm wired. Because I'm going to eat. Oh, I'm going to eat. And everybody else did have it except me. Which is what you're used to anyway. It's, yeah, I'm like, yep. I didn't gain any weight. <laughs> that's it. So that was the grace on it. I think that's great. Well, it's actually interesting because I'm at the point now in my life where I am starting to think more about my health and drink more water and work out and put a couple burgers down. And How old are you? 31. Smart. It catches up to you. It catches up to you in ways you don't know, like, like arthritis. People don't know that having a certain amount of weight on the body causes arthritis as age goes on and degenerative joint issues, along with, we know, the hypertension and diabetes and all of that. So even now, you know, I was 458. I'm now 2. I weighed myself this morning. I was 219.6. Even at 219.6, I still feel the joint issues. And so I've got to, like, when I work out, I got to really stretch a lot and push myself because I realized that I wore myself because of holding on to that much weight for years. And so for you, for 31, it's incredible. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Because now you've moved to California. Mm-hmm. You're an incredible husband. You got an amazing wife. I do. You guys are doing incredible things. You're the funniest human being I've ever met in my life. Oh, thank you. Gifts beyond words. I'm still trying to get you to start City of Praise Family Ministries California, but, you know, we'll keep praying on that. This will be stricken from the record. I just want to put that out there <laughs> to, the, to the world so everybody else can help encourage me. But can I ask, sure. in the midst of this, are there any, because I, I found, as the older I get, the more I realize lessons are gifts. What gifts or lessons do you think you have learned maybe in the last six to 12 months in your own life that you say, God, I thank you. And, and some of the gifts like mine, the lessons are hard lessons, but even those are the biggest gifts. Yeah, I think mine's are hard lessons. Mm-hmm. One, I think that the biggest lesson I've learned is A community isn't just like a cute thing to have and hang out with. You really need to engage communities. Like, I didn't realize how much I needed, like, your relationship Mm -hmm. and Minister Will's relationship and Peyton and Mark. Like, I didn't realize how much those relationships meant to me until I wasn't there anymore. I would imagine it feels like how it is when, like, your kids go to college. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whoa, now I want to talk to you all the time. Uh Like, I want to— talk to my grandmother all the time. I'm all the time. Like I, it's like, I think I took it for granted having those kind of people close to we me. We all do. I think that probably the toughest lesson I've learned is that like when God wants to have time with you by himself, you can't really do anything else to fill that. I think I underestimated how much of a transition it was. Because sometimes even if you know that God has you going somewhere else, it's still a hard transition. Like, it's still, you know, family and friends and starting over, mm-hmm. essentially, with comedy. And those things were really hard. And all my wife and I have is each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we really had to, and I had to kind of deepen my relationship with God to help facilitate that move. And I think I tried to fill that with comedy. I just wanted to be successful in comedy. Mm-hmm. Instead of, like, really taking the time to be like, God, what do I do? Like, Mm -hmm. I need to deepen my prayer life. I need to read my word more. I think that was really, really tough because it was a point where I had gotten to the end of my own rope. I can go out every night and do comedy, and you hit your head on the wall, and God's like, okay, you ready now? Can we do it? And, I mean, literally, like, you know, you kind of have, like, a routine. Like, Mm -hmm. I pray, Mm -hmm. I read the word, I'm good. 
And then God's like, no, I'll be waking up in the middle of the night like, what? I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. Like, am I just supposed to wake up and pray? Am I supposed to listen to sermons over and over and over? And, and just, God was just having me do things I wasn't used to. And I think that was a wake-up call because I asked God to, like, use me. Whatever you want to do, I give myself away. Like, it's always cute to sing those songs, but surrender is not easy. And it's not for the faint of heart. And I think that's what I'm learning in L.A. One, that I need to, like, engage the people who I know love me because sometimes it can feel really lonely. But also, like, God has a plan. And a part of saying that you surrender and trusting him means that even when he has you in a process that you can't decipher the end of it, you still go along with it the way he does it. Because it's just better that way. Three, my wife is just really cool. And I like her a lot. I love her, but I actually like her. I feel bad for people who love people and don't like them. Those would be my three. Just off of what you said, it's really, really interesting. What are you doing with that lesson? Now that you've gotten these recognitions of the importance of having these interpersonal relationships, and I ask that because I know you. You are bottled up if you are not using helping. Part of who you are is you like the seclusion, you like the chill. But then you're sitting there while you're chilling like, gosh, I, I, need, I know I'm supposed to be doing something. I know I'm supposed to be helping somebody. Your perfect life is go change the world, then go back in your time alone and reflect on the change you made. Yeah. And now you feel happy that you can have your quiet time and your relaxed time. You know, you like David, you took the lion out and you, you took the bear out and you knocked out Goliath. Then you can go back and you can sit back and, and Netflix and, and relax for a few minutes. But without the lion and tiger, you're like, eh, you know, something's missing. Yeah. And that's what I see in you. You're a giant killer. You are. And so, therefore, your life, you can't, like a lot of folks, just kind of survive. There has to be deep, intrinsic value from your existence that you have to know is being implemented. I just know that from you. I hope I'm not going too deep on telling no, no, everybody no. your, your this business. Is, no, this is this what, this what we're here for. That's just who you are. Well, for those who don't know, I was the youth and young adult minister here what? at City of Praise Family. Say what? <laughs> Say what? At the, at the City of Praise Family Man, Ministries. It would have been, that's a great position. Now, let me see this. That's a great position. Now, what did you work? At the City of Praise Family Oh, ministry. so you were full-time in ministry. I was a full-time, yeah, I was a full-time Shabba, minister. You're full-time and an ordained minister. As an ordained minister, that is correct. <laughs> I'm just, okay. I happen to be very close to the guy who ordained me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that We had worked so diligently, and I think that we worked really hard, and we poured out a lot. And I think that when we first moved to California, we enjoyed... So let me just say this. All right, I'm just going to say, you are right. Uh I know what you're going to say. I know exactly what you're going to say. I know exactly what you're going to say. You are right. Okay. You are right. You needed A. (laughs) So for the first couple of months, it was great because... When we first got married and together, we were already like in ministry. And you know, in ministry is like, it's 24-7. Yes, sir. It is grind to it. Yes. If you're in it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. People think like, and I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't even like a pastor, but pastoring is not like people look at the platform mm-hmm. and getting sermons and everybody coming up to you and having assigned seats and they think like, mm-hmm. that's what pastoring yeah. is. I wish that people could follow people like you around for a week just to see like, you guys are getting 2 a.m. calls and emergencies. and Pastoring is responsibility. If you don't see it that way, you'll miss out on the true nature of what it is. 
And you feel responsible for everybody. You feel responsible for your family, for your church, for your community, even for folk in other states in certain scenarios. You just feel responsible. So that responsibility can easily turn into a burden. So I I think that we enjoyed that because it was the first time we got to like date, literally. Mm -hmm. It's the first time on a Wednesday night we weren't like, what you want to eat after Bible study? Uh (laughs) Like we got to actually be like, you want to watch a movie Mm -hmm. or something, which I think we enjoyed. But I think now we're getting the itch to start to volunteer. We may put a couple chairs down just to start off. Remember I told you, I said, people that make certain major moves often need a vacation more than they need to walk away. That's the norm. It's never going to change how you're wired. It's never going to change. The fact that you bring value is what drives you. You and your wife, you both bring value to every. You were that little young boy who just, had you graduate? You were in college when I first met you, right? Yeah, I was 19 when I came you were, Yeah, you were, you had just graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. And that your little boy who was doing plays with Tree and videos with yeah. Tree and all of these coming out of the closet. Not to say, but, Whoa, but that how, was a video. That's how rumors get started. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it was a video. Yeah, it was the name of the video. The name of the video. And that little boy, he found value. You could do a video and then say, wow, thousands of people are impacted by this. That's still who you are. And that's never going to change. And God placed that inside of you. And you will, as time goes on, you will blossom that. Hopefully not tomorrow. I want to see a couple more movies. Yeah. Well, Chronos time comes. Well, you know, yeah. you never know. You never know. You one time said that pastoring was so unique because you're called to people who aren't necessarily always called to you. Like people move and shift. And how do you stop from taking stuff like that person? Like, how do you not take pastoring personal? Like when people have issues, how do you not like, hey, I got stuff going on in my house. Like, how do you navigate that humanity piece, but, but just also the spiritual piece. Too. So it's interesting. On that note, I've had innumerable pastors sit in the exact seat you're sitting in right now and cry. Pastors' wives break down because of, they, people don't know what pastors go through. Because most people don't realize, especially if you're in a church right now and you've gone through some tough moments and, and you're saying, well, I'm having an issue with the church or the pastor. A lot of people don't know the domino effects that impact a pastor. Sometimes a pastor will make a decision and it doesn't make sense, but there are four or five things that you don't know that led up to that decision. And you may see it just isolated from your perspective and your window. Like somebody will ask, Bishop, can I use this or can I do that? See, I can't think of it, can Kason use this or do that? Because there's another thousand, two thousand, five thousand, seven thousand people that once I do it, then I got to let everybody do it. So sometimes I got to make a decision that is tough Not because I don't want to do it, because once I open this door, it's setting a standard. I can't explain why I let him do it and not you do it, because that means I liked him more than you. And so sometimes those there's so many different pieces to leadership that is crazy. But one of the things about a pastor that I had to learn a long time ago, watching my mother and father in ministry, it was a blessing. I got to see everything. I got to see church on small, church on medium, church on large, (laughs) as far as scale. And I learned so much. I remember my parents going into a Diggins meeting and my mother saying, all right, Jimmy, be ready because, you know, these Diggins, this Diggins such and such, they always have a problem and they always want to fight about, fuss about and get angry about. And my father said, oh, I got him, Betty. And I mean, they would be priming each other. I was like, I, I am never going into a leadership meeting like that. You know, they had that scenario. So this is what I've learned. If I would ever give a pastor, if I could give every pastor in the world one small piece of advice. If I could just share it to every pastor in the world, one thing that I believe 
has been a part of a salvation to my life and my wife's life is to my dear friend, never attach your self-esteem to your congregation. The ebbs and flows of a church can be many. Jesus in one day went from hundreds of disciples to 12. Then another scene, he goes from 12 to three. Then one scene, he goes from three to none. Then he goes from none to the entire Christian world that we have now. And at no point can you attach your self-esteem to your congregation or you will drive yourself crazy. I know pastors that preach in front of hundreds of people, some thousands, go home and they're depressed because they've attached their self-esteem to the congregation. Never attach your self-esteem, your value to your church. It will cause you to plummet and be depressed. How do you save yourself from burnout? Because you start to see a lot of, I won't say a lot, but you start to see prominent headlines of pastors who go from like great ministries and some of them leave the faith altogether. And then some people, marriages, like I'm sure you kind of see everything. I always, I hope it's not ignorant to say, but I always kind of saw a parallel between the comedy world and the gospel world in the sense of the people who help people out in the front oftentimes can be burnt out and can have their own issues with joy and peace behind the scenes. Like, how have you kind of balanced having enough to give the church, but having enough to give your wife and your kids and even yourself? How do you save yourself from burnout? Anytime you're imbalanced, you're teetering on falling on from one side or the other. Everything in life is about balance. For me, and I'll be very, very honest with you, I saw parents wear themselves out and family members die maybe earlier than they had to because of not realizing the toll of ministry can take on a person. And so I've always said, I am going to be balanced. I put everything in perspective, everything. The moment you lose your perspective, you lose your life. I love God. I love God's people. I love my health. I love enjoying my family. And so I'm going to make sure I get it all in. My priorities are God first before the congregation, because that's not the same. A lot of people think God and the congregation are the same. No, I put God first. God is my relationship with him, not my relationship with the church. So I put God first, my family second, and the congregation third, and my health fourth, period. So I recognize that in order to pastor, I can't make the congregation God. So easy to confuse the two, to think that me being at church is being, is, no, when I'm at church, I am taking care of people. When I'm my time with God, he's taking care of me. I would think that that's the critical component. And then also, you know, man, Truth be made known, what you're thinking in your head is either going to kill you or heal you. Sometimes we open up our thoughts to a pattern that is so dangerous as pastors. We do. We open up our thoughts to a pattern that's so dangerous. You have to be a student of the Bible to understand human behavior as a pastor. If you're not, you miss it out. Jesus had disciples that were disgruntled. Jesus had disciples that didn't agree with him. Judas didn't agree with him. With Mary Magdalene was washing feet. The disciples were upset and got in an argument because they said, can I sit at your left when you're right? And they started arguing. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus had this crazy scene, right? So this is, my, this is one of the wildest scenes. I ain't going to take up any time saying it, but Jesus had this wild scene where, imagine as Jesus goes to the disciples and say, hey, you guys, listen, I got to go. I'm about to go to glory. I'm about to give up my life and I'm gone and I got to go. Do you know what they stunt? Them jokers said, them jokers said, Jesus, when you gone, can we take your place? And they fight. I'm like, well, excuse me. I'm There's no here. hurt, no remorse. Nobody's sad. Them jokers, like, when you die, when you, look, when you die, can I take your place? 
I mean, that's just wild, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's what Jesus had to go through. And I, I mean, I, I slapped somebody, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He like, cry for me at least. Yeah. Only Peter was the one at night saying, I ain't gonna let you die. You know, but everybody else was like, look, dude, you know, batter up. <laughs> at least cut an ear. Like, yeah. just <laughs> be a little yeah. sad. The rest of them dudes were like, all right, he gone. So I submit to all of my pastor friends, please put your life in balance and declutter your life. Lives are so cluttered. Your life is a copulation of your decisions. You make drama decisions, you're going to have drama in your life. Drama words bring drama. Learn how to shut up, move forward, and get the job done. Stop opening up drama. Stop watching all these other preachers that do drama things and drama things, and they think it's disciplining the church. It's not disciplining the church. The church responds to love, not being beat up. I guess a follow-up question. So I'm going to ask one more pastor question, and we'll get to some fun stuff before we wrap up. How do you deal with the generation of church hurt? Like, I know that there's just nowhere that you're going to find perfection in a church. If you want to find something, you will. This church, da 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 And I understand that you build a ministry that's built on the Word of God and on love, but you also have to kind of balance just natural human whatever that is. How do you approach the era of church hurt where... I always, it's actually interesting because I I consider this generation to be the first generation of people who may not necessarily, their parents weren't raised in church. So a lot of people are coming to church for the first time and Facebook and Instagram, people's theologies. Is there something to be intentional about or do you just kind of like full speed ahead and people will get it? As a pastor, do you have to think about church hurt or do you just say consistency over time will win people over? I don't know if this is politically correct or not, but this is my real feeling. Church hurt is an invention of the devil to make people forget the fact that everybody's human. Yeah. There's work hurt. I don't see people quitting jobs. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Life is about people trying to deal with circumstances. And so the church is no different than that. The church is not a perfect place. Hospitals, no one walks in a hospital and says, I can't believe all these sick people are here. And no one should walk in a church and say, I can't believe all these people are trying to get better. I submit to you, we had this question on Sunday about a person going through this, and I submit to you, you realize all through the Bible, the Bible says in Ezra that Satan hired counselors to try to frustrate the saints to stop building. End time prophecy says in the last days, people are going to depart from the faith. Part of that is because it goes on to say in Matthew, because there'll be brothers against brothers, sisters against sisters, people in church will, will have issues. Don't fall for the trap. The word devil in the Greek is the word diablos, which means diabolical one or trap setter. It's a trap. It's an end time trap. They had problems. Barnabas had issues with disciples. Paul had issues with disciples. Jesus had issues with disciples. Moses had issues with people. There's not a church, there's not a scene in the Bible where church people didn't have church issues. So why do we think we get to the 21st century and all those church issues should dissipate and go away? It is a trick of the devil to make people think there ought to be perfection. There is not perfection, but there is growth. So you're there to make God's kingdom bigger, bless people, help people, and grow. Maybe you're too fragile. Maybe God wants to assign 10,000 under you and you're still getting frustrated with 10. I think it's a trick. I don't think there's a real search thing. If there's church hurt, then there must be job hurt. There must be relationship hurt. There must be marriage hurt. Everybody hurt because you tell me the church is not a building. The church is the people. Same people work. I think it's a trick. I do. The church needs to stop beating up on the church. Church needs to stop going online and beating up on other pastors and beating up on the church. We got issues. Let's just grow through them and develop them. 
stop glorifying your church off of somebody else's pain or because somebody's doing something wrong. What you're really doing psychologically is you're saying, we're better than that. We're better than them. Well, you might be, but you also need to be loving to them and helpful to them. And not just because the world is watching this and the world says, oh, see, he's talking about the church himself. It's hard. This stuff is tough. Let's teach and help instead of beating each other up and ripping churches apart and pastors feeling though they need to build their platform off of some other church that's struggling or not doing it right and ripping them apart. Let's call sin, sin and help others become righteous. You know what helped me a lot with my church hurt? This is going to sound ridiculous, but I was over at your house one day and I remember Mama Y, your lovely wife, came by and she said, why are your shoes here? That was it. It was not your shoes. Yeah, your shoes were not what they were supposed to be. You know, I said to myself, I do that. Wow, this dude is amazing. He's one of the greatest men I've ever known. And he does something that I do. My wife gets mad at the exact same thing. Listen. She probably feels the same way. She goes to to our bedroom right now. I know I didn't clean up this morning. (laughs) Sometimes it's just real. I realize I'm never going to clean to her standard. I can spend three hours cleaning and she'll be like, oh, okay, you tried. I'm like, what did I do wrong? And she'll just swipe one thing of dust or the stretchy sheet I didn't fold it right. It's just, you know, we just, they just got it. They just they got it. You realize God is using you to teach her the ministry of patience. <laughs> see, that's how you spin it. See, that's brilliant. See, see you're, you're helping her become more like Christ. So you got to understand, if she comes against you, you're coming against God's mission. God's working on you, daughter. Accept it. Receive it. Hey, can you send me a PDF of this? So I can use it on Tiffany later. That's incredible. It's the truth. All right. <laughs> All right. So we have a segment here called You Don't Know Me. So I'm just going to throw you some questions. Just answer them however you want. They come a little fast, but just answer it. All right, cool. Um, if you can sit down with uh, 15-year-old Joel, what would you tell him? Wow. And I got to answer this fast? No, I mean, you don't have to answer. Okay. I'm just saying like... What, what would you tell him? Oh, and not Joel Jr., by the way. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a different conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 15-year-old me, what would I say to me? The 15-year-old that got thrown on the radio. Yeah, it was going to be something like that. Believe in yourself. Don't doubt yourself. Believe in yourself. People don't think that sidebar, but I I think people have a hard time believing that people who shine so bright in public have self-esteem issues. (laughs) I'm nervous every time. And people just don't get that, which is why when they see me outside when I'm off, they're like, I didn't expect you to... You look so much taller on stage or something like that. <laughs> I've literally had people say, like, I thought you were like six foot two. Like, I'm like, I don't know. But off stage, I'm like, did I do well? How did I do? I mean, yes. people could be falling over doing backflips. Yes. And I'm still like off stage, like, was that all right? Did it feel as good as it think it? Like, I don't know why people just don't know that people who shine so bright have. What will mess them up is to recognize what you would consider to be the, the brighter the light, the more the concern, the more the trepidation because of the fact that now you're, you feel like you're measured at a higher level. So you want to reach that higher level. And so you submit that you go into the stage shaking sometimes. I do every Sunday. Every time I approach a platform, I go to the platform unequivocally nervous. And if a pastor tells you he's not, I have certain concerns. I go every single time. There are certain things that help me, though. And that is the fact that I have to remind myself I am not here to be articulate or to be intriguing, or even to be good. I'm here to help. That's it. I always know I'm going to have a good show when I get gas. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. 
Hopefully I don't see it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you don't have a show tonight, right? No, I don't. I don't. Okay. No. I have a show in 30 minutes. Oh, no, I'm joking. Well, I'm joking. Yeah, but let's go. We're going to be rolling out. This is over. <laughs> Flatulence is a sign of nervousness. Just FYI. Good. Because that's, that's, that's what I'll take it as. The times where I've been the most confident and going on stage cocky, it's been the worst shows I've ever had. Unequivocally. And I will say another thing. One of the most humbling things I ever heard is when I heard you say that you wish you could do some sermons over. That's what 10 o'clock service is. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like if people heard stuff like this more, it would make them a lot more comfortable with their jobs and their process. Because it's like, you look at something that looks like it's all together, but you don't know what it takes to get up here. You don't know, you know, after I'm leaving here, I have a full day schedule. Like, I'm not, I have my own stuff. I got, I got stuff going on. I'm unsure about myself sometimes. Like, it looks good, but I'm still trying to figure it out too. One of the first messages I ever heard, my mother and I were in the car as a little boy, and it was a lady who preached a message called, I'm still a cracked pot. And she talked about Jeremiah, where God, going back in the potter's wheel, and I feel like we're all got some cracks in our pot. None of us are exempt, which is why we ought to give each other a break, right? So we ought to stop being so tough on each other and so expecting each other to be perfect and not realizing that people flawed, they make mistakes, they say dumb things, they have emotions that are, that are awry. We're so hard on everybody. We have such a standard we expect everyone else to live by that we ourselves don't even compare to. And I think it's so unfair. I think we, especially sometimes those of us in the faith, we don't give each other enough breaks. You have three dinners. This is the three dinner question. Three dinners. Three dinners. One dinner, you have to go with someone you want to learn from. Okay. One dinner, you just want to have fun. Uh Uh-huh. And then another dinner, you have to go, you have to teach. Okay. So you go into one dinner just to get wisdom. that's easy. Okay. Okay. That's the easiest question you could ask. I want to learn. Well, no, no, you have to go to all three dinners. Oh, I got to go to all three? Three different people, three different groups of people. Okay. So you have to go to one dinner and learn from somebody. You have to go to one dinner just to have a good time. You just yes. want to have fun. Yes. And then you go to another dinner just to, I want to teach you something. Yes. I want to sit you down and okay. teach you something. Who do you invite to those dinners? So, my, so I have to ask a question. Are the people that I am going to these dinners with, are they alive or are they dead? Your choice. Oh, they can be alive? They can be dead? Yep. Okay. That's very, very interesting. So which one do I take first? Up to you. The dinner that I one to have fun with. That's my wife. That's just my wife. She cracks me up all the time, except for preparing for women's conference. <laughs> She's on intense mode. Okay. She is on intense mode. But other than that, she is a walking, talking, fun machine. Yeah. She's fun factory all day and all night. She is. Now, what was the second one? Learn from. Person I want to learn from. Of course, we would all say Christ. And then many would say Barack Obama. Those too easy, right? Those are way, way too easy. I would love to go back to dinner with my dad. I would. I would love to go back to dinner with my dad. My dad, when we were young, he would pick me up from school and we would go to McDonald's elementary school. He would embarrass me so badly because we'd be sitting at McDonald's. My friends, the parents bring them too sometimes. And my dad was a country boy. He would take, and I don't know why this embarrassed me so much. He would take his napkin and he'd put it in his top of his <laughs> thing, you know, just, you know, instead, not on his lap, but right here in his, in top of where his neck is. And his napkin would be big McDonald's napkin all around. So his food wouldn't fall on his shirt. And I don't know why that would embarrass me. I would love to go and see that napkin again. You take your dad to McDonald's? I would take my dad to McDonald's and let him just talk. That's who I would love to learn from. And then you have a one more dinner where you want to just teach somebody. You hear their questions and just impart as much as you can. I only can pick one person? You can pick a group of people if you want. Okay. You, Mark, my kids, 
and another handful of young adults in this church, I would love to just take that time and just talk. The older you get, the more of a student of life you become. And as you become a student of life, you learn the need of wanting to share so other people don't have to try to relearn what you had to learn through pain. I think that's interesting because I think that you have so much wisdom and knowledge and understanding that people like myself, I'm like, man, if you held a class every Tuesday, I'd be there. I know we had a conversation last week about like just knowing who you are. And I remember the quote. I actually remember this quote. I called my wife and told her as soon as we got off the phone that if you become more comfortable with your personality, you'll be more confident in your presentation. Mm-hmm. I remember that. That's exactly right. I always yep. remember that. Is there something that you see in young people, young leaders, young gifted people? Maybe they're not in ministry, but maybe they have God's call them to the marketplace. Is there a lesson or lessons that you want people to... The more you live in life, the more you realize everything remains the same. The young people of the post-millennials are the same as the young people during the 80s and the young people during the 60s and the young people during the 50s. There's an old adage that says, when you are young, you're liberal and radical. And when you're old, you're conservative and relaxed. It is always the truth that I wish we could mix the two together. Young folks, they are sometimes garrulous, very garrulous. And I would love to sometimes just give them an opportunity to avoid certain mistakes. But I guess you learn through mistakes, right? What does garrulous mean? (laughs) It took me seven years to get through undergrad. Moving with sometimes outthinking. Okay. Impulsive. Okay. I learned my life sometimes just sit back and and being able to process. And then also being tough-skinned. You're not going to make it in this world being easily broken. That's the lesson I had to teach my kids after teaching them the opposite. When you first grow up the child, in fact, there's an interesting study that talks about the importance of a dad. And one of the things that a father does is they said if a child falls, a mother jumps right to it. If a child falls, the dad is just slower getting to the child. Yeah. <laughs> and they said that actually helps the child learn how to handle things and self-soothe. And that's why we have issues now because we have less impactive dad's hands in children's lives. You need both. But the imbalance is a problem. And I think that would be the thing I would want to say is, this world, you can't be emotionally beat up in your own mind all the time. You got to be tough. Like I told Sunday, mm-hmm. first conversation my mother had with my wife, tough skin. What makes you laugh? Is this something that you go home and it's like, if I watch this a hundred times, I'm going to laugh every day. It's got to be real. It can't be orchestrated or scripted. Okay. I laugh at stuff that you don't see coming. It can't be predictable. It can't be something that, okay, I know this is going to, you know, what this is. It's, The people that make me laugh the most are people that intelligent comedy, Mm -hmm. like you, you know, intelligent humor. I love political humor, but it's got to be something that's, I don't don't laugh at dumb, silly stuff to me is not funny, even though I don't mind being around other people that are laughing at it. I just can't get it. It's like, oh, you know, he was going to fall. Why are you laughing at that? But stuff that's more thoughtful and intellectual. Now, my favorite, other than Kason Wilson. All-time comedians, and they are a team, was Abbott and Costello. Really? Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Have you ever listened to Who's On First? No. You've never listened to Who's On First? Uh Uh-uh. Homework. Okay. It's on iTunes. Go pull up Who's On First with Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Okay. It is the funniest stick you'll ever see in your life. Okay. You 
gotta listen to who's on first. I, I will do that. And they got a bunch of other ones. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello were the funniest of the funny. Other than Kason Wilson. Oh, you don't have to do that. It's the truth. All right, cool. If you had a choice, would you rather be able to redo the last five years of your life or look ahead to the next five years? Oh, and definitely change? look ahead to the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> that's easy. Ooh, that's, that's easy. I don't want to see that anymore. I don't want to see that anymore. I thank God for those five years. Yeah. They were great tools, but no. Favorite snack? Twizzlers. Really? Oh, I love a Twizzler. Can't eat them, but love them. When's the last time you had a Twizzler? I had one Twizzler like a month ago. Just one. And that's because it was on my son's desk. And before that? Six months ago. Oh, yeah, you're serious. I love Twizzlers. Okay. I could eat Twizzlers for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Favorite cereal? Were you like a big cereal eater growing up? Oh, yeah, everybody was. Really? Captain Crunch. With a crunch, but it had to have crunch berries. Really? Had to be crunch berry season. What other cereals? Like, give me a top three. Captain Crunch. I liked Kicks. And I liked, what is it called? The little cookies, chocolate cookies with the little... Cookie crisp? Cookie crisp. Yep. Really? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Don't I didn't take you for a cereal eater. Love you. Don't eat any of them now because they're all bad. They have high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> but, but I loved them then. There you go. That's why. Yes. <laughs> Favorite juice? Cranberry juice. Huh. Yeah. Absolutely cranberry juice. Favorite restaurant? <laughs> that could get me in trouble. I like, yeah, Captain George's. Captain George's. Yeah, you ever been to Captain George's? A seafood. Yeah, you I'm never allergic. Been, you have been to Captain George's? I'm allergic. It's and in, it's in, oh, really? Williamsburg. And I think it's expensive, so. Oh, man. They have like five seafood bars and four dessert bars. Glory up in that camp. <laughs> if not that, then Papa Do's. Papa Do's. Yes, I do sir. know Papa Do's. Yes, sir. But Captain George's is first. Number one. Number one all time. History. All expense paid. If you had a chance to open a restaurant, you would open up a Captain George. Oh, who wouldn't? Yes. Captain George is so hard to get in. You go to Captain George, no matter what time of the day, you, you got to wait 20, 30 minutes outside trying to get in. And the restaurants are huge. They're like the size of our sanctuary. <laughs> and, and, and it's still, it's packed all day and all night. It's like that. It's like that. All right. And I'm so sorry. You got to really pray for that spirit of being allergic to seafood. You're missing out on a, another whole portion of life. Uh, ask God to give you grace. It saves me a lot of money, though. Yeah, crab man. Cakes get, cra- crab cakes get expensive. Oh, crab cake. Crab legs. They got shrimp that's, like, pickled. Then they got shrimp that is coconut shrimp. Then they got shrimp that is just fried. And, oh, oh, this is glory. You're having a moment right now. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> he gonna make me go get a Twizzler. <laughs> Absolutely. So last question. Ask everybody this. You have to make your all-time concert. You have to get a comedian to host it. And then the rest are musical acts. The opening act gets 10 to 15 minutes. The feature gets 25 to 30 minutes. And then the headliner is unlimited. You can use any genre, any point in history. Any? Anyone that is alive or no longer alive. All-time concert. I got to get Kason Wilson. No, you don't have to save me, man. I got to get Kason. I got to. I I appreciate it. I got to. If you had to get another comedian, who would you pick? You got a little brother? No, I'm just... (laughs) I like Kason Wilson. And as far as opening act, Louis Armstrong. Wow. Satchmo. Yeah. Definitely. What a beautiful world. Second act, unequivocally, Barbara Streisand. You love Barbara Streisand? Love Barbara Streisand. Memories. Yeah. Love Barbara Streisand. Satchmo. Of course, J.J. Harrison had to be in there somewhere too, so I've got to throw J.J. I got you, got you, got you. Yeah, he'll be in there. The final. Headliner, unlimited, full band. You can go all night. I mean, just hit after hit after hit. You can go until we lock the building. It almost would have been Diana Ross, but I'm I'm thinking Nancy Wilson. Mm, yeah. 
Guess who I saw tonight, my dear? You, you wouldn't know about that. You know, it's a little before my time. I was born in 87. <laughs> Nancy Wilson. She and or together. Maybe I can get Lena Horne to go in there too. Yeah. Their vocals were beautiful. The music was poetic. It was soft. It was endearing. Coming from Barbara Streisand would be incredible. Satchmo. I'd probably put Satchmo in there in the middle to break it up, but. Hello, Dolly, you know, beautiful world. Sashmo was the man, yeah. Yeah. You have a really big musical palette. People don't know that. Is that right? Again, my mother, genres, seasons. I loved all of those were older folks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow, you thought I was going to say Migos? No, no. <laughs> Drake, uh, Lil Wayne. Huh, is that what you thought I was going to say? I did not. Huh? I, I would not have guessed that as much as I would not have guessed Barbara Streisand. In fact, Probably there's not a concert I'd want to go to more right now than Barbara Streisand. And she's up there in age now. But I think she can probably still get a good concert if she wanted to. I don't know if she's even doing a concert anymore. But yeah, oh man, I would love to go see Barbara Streisand. Oh, oh wow. man. I grew up watching her movie. Yeah. Yeah, you've never seen uh, Funny Girl. You got to watch the movie Funny Girl. I have a little homework to do. But you got to go before you leave and watch the shtick. Is that what it's called? Shtick? Yeah. yeah. Albert and Costello, who's on first? I will uh-huh. do that. When we leave out here. Before we leave, you want to do right now. Done and done. Do you feel like people got to know you better after this conversation? I hope so. I hope that you got to know me in a way that, well, I don't know, you and I have been knowing each other for a long time. No, there's a lot so, of stuff I didn't know. Yeah. I hope so. I'm, I'm pretty easy. I think I'm pretty plain. I think you sell yourself short. Yeah, I think I'm pretty plain. You're I do. pretty awesome. You're very, very kind, but you always are. That's why I miss you and wish you'd come back to Maryland. I'm trying to negotiate. Well, guys, that's been I another am, episode. Uh, let, me call, <laughs> let me call my dear sister Tiffany up, my daughter, and see if I can convince her to come. I know, I know her father wants her to come back. Yeah. I know her father and mother want them to come back. Y'all yeah. to come back real bad. We're going to keep praying. And we love you, son. I we mean, we you do. Too. You got so many folks that love you. And I could tell when you're around here, it's like you're the piece of the puzzle. You just feel like you fit. I know this. I know what this is. I know who that is. This is always your home. And so I know you. What are the name of your new pastors? What are their names <laughs> in California? The new pastor, the new church you joined. What's the name? No, I just want to know. It's, uh, <laughs> What's the name of your new church? It's uh, Antioch Church of Long Beach. Antioch Church in Long Beach. So you know any church with the last name Long Beach, <laughs> they probably have church service on the sand. They probably don't wear shoes at church service. Probably a great church. Probably a powerful church. But but you know how we sell, how we give rather, how we give grape juice and, and, and little wafers for communion. They probably give arugula and quinoa for communion. I understand. It's okay. You got your little, fa- you got your wonderful, beautiful, anointed sandal wearing church that you go to on Sunday. I bet you, be honest, don't they wear sandals in no, church? No, no, they you, don't wear sandals. Yes, they do. You know they no, wear sandals. No, Come no, on. Next, man. all I want you to think of is next time you have Holy Communion <laughs> at your new church at Antioch, I want you to think about your bishop is thinking that they got quinoa in that little palette. <laughs> all right? <laughs> Just to open your little quinoa pouch, okay? All right? Just throwing that out. You started eating seaweed chips before I even left. <laughs> just, you, yeah. You're the only person I know where it's not an insult to tell you you're half the man you used to be. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> you're just trying to make up for your quinoa eating church. That's okay. <laughs> it's all good, man. I, I mean, I, I miss you so much. I'm, I'm going to call your pastors and tell them that you're there on hiatus, but we're going to get you back. <laughs> if they had any idea the kind of gifts between you and Tiffany they had sitting in that pulpit, it would amaze them. We got to change that. They have no idea how wonderful, anointed, and powerful you and your wife are and how sweet and precious and kingdom-driven you cats are. So I hope 
they get to see for a short time what we've gotten to see. So you can come back after you show them. <laughs> I got it. Point taken. I love you, son. I love you too, man. And I am so proud of the man you are. I am so proud of the man you are. And the man you've become and the father you are and the husband you are and all of those things that God is doing in your life. It is what this whole church experience is about. It's producing people like you and your wife. It really is. And I mean that not with flattery, not because we we sitting here hanging out talking about this stuff. It is what I've said in private about you, I think also to you, and what I want to share. You are, without a shadow of a doubt, what this whole thing is about, man. It is, and I hope to God, your example is bigger than what you expect so people can see it. Because it's a real light, and it's a beautiful thing. It is. And I hope after they do, I get to go straight back to the couch. <laughs> you going Netflix ESPN. and what? I can Netflix and chill now. I, got, I put a ring on it. I'm good. Oh, gosh. It's all good that. now. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much. Anything that you want people to know or about the church? I love my wife. I love God's people. I am enjoying this life. My wife and I, we are the most grateful humans on this planet, period. We are grateful. We are not smart enough, not brilliant enough, not great enough, not superfluous enough to deserve one one trillionth of what the Lord has done. And God is just continuing to be very, very nice to us. And so I think that's it, man. I mean, we are just grateful. And I tell people all the time, I don't want to do anything to change the hand of God because he's just been so kind. Huge, huge thank you to Bishop, Bishop, Joel Peebles, and to every one of you who listen. Thank you for joining me along on this journey. Before we get out of here, please, if you haven't already, please comment, rate, and subscribe. Comment, rate, and subscribe. I would love to hear your biggest takeaway from this interview, biggest quote from this interview. Let me know how you feel about it. Hashtag the life of. Follow me on Instagram at the life of K-A-Y. Got some dope shows coming up. Please check it out. I'm actually at the Madhouse Comedy Club in San Diego this Friday and Saturday. So go ahead and check that out. And other than that, I think that's it. Everything that needed to be said got said. I love y'all. See y'all next time. Later.